In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Again, I want to say to you how uh, good it is to be here at Ascension this weekend. It's good to be with you at the beginning of your transition as a uh, congregation and as a community of faith. I've, uh, as I prepared for this, I came to my recall that uh, I've been involved in a number of transitions with this congregation, and so Ascension is an important piece of my life at this time. I do have to say to you that um, in my personal transition these days in retirement, uh, I'm learning. I'm learning the importance of being open to God's leading for growth and for renewal and for service as his people. I'm open, I'm learning how important that is in many phases of our lives, and especially in those transitional times as we uh, seek direction as we move from what's been familiar to whatever else is going on in our lives. I'm also learning how endings, endings are not followed immediately by new beginnings and new normals. And uh, we're going to talk about that in a little bit. I have to say to you, and I don't know what your reaction was as you heard David read the readings and as you heard me read the gospel lesson, but I found these to be uh, one of the most interesting set of Scripture readings, combinations of readings that we have in the liturgical calendar. I think it's uh, pretty self-explanatory um, what is being said in the Old Testament lesson for today, as um, it starts off with, Hear this, you who trample the needy and do away with the poor of the land. And we're going to talk about that some more in a little bit. Our epistle reading is also a very interesting reading. It starts off pretty clear as it urges us to our service, as our service does today, as it urges us toward requests and prayers and intercession and thanksgivings be made for everyone. But then it gets into uh, some statements that are reflective of the culture and the particular situations at that time. And I find that that reading as it is causes some confusion in our times, especially based on what gender you are. And what I find is we often gloss over and we often don't see and we often forget about what that reading together says to us. It seems that we often miss the point that we are all of us, no matter whether we're male or female, we are to lift up holy hands in prayer without anger or disputing. And we are all to learn in quietness and full submission and continue in faith, love, and holiness with self-control as children of God. <clears throat> and then there's the gospel reading for today. And I think as you initially read the gospel reading, it seems as though the whole value of moral behavior has just kind of been thrown out the window. And so I want to focus on the gospel lesson for today, because I believe that the gospel lesson, as well as the epistle lesson, has important application for our lives as we live in this journey of this imperfect world, and particularly has great application for you and your congregation 
as you move forward into your future. So Luke 16, it's a parable, a parable that Jesus shared with a divided crowd. What we understand is in that crowd that he shared this parable with, there were his disciples, but there were also Pharisees hanging around there also. Kind of the summary of the parable is that a rich man accused his manager of wasting his possessions, so he called him in and asked for a list of the accounts under his management. And the manager felt that he was about to be fired and he did not want to dig or beg and he wanted folks to welcome him into their homes. And so he updated his list of accounts for the master this way. He called in one of the master's debtors and he asked him, the first one, how much do you owe my master? 100 gallons of olive oil. And so the manager said, take your bill and make it 50. And then he asked the second, how much do you owe? 100 bushels of wheat. Take your bill and make it 80. And the master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. And Jesus, as he summarizes the parable, states that the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. Use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that, so that when it is gone, you will, be, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. To understand what Jesus is saying, we have to remember, first of all, that the worldly wealth that he talks about, the wealth that we have in this world, the money that we are is in our possessions, all we have and all we are belongs to God. And he calls us to use it according to his plans and purposes. And his plans and purposes for us is to create relationships with others so that they will be welcomed into the eternal dwellings. They will be welcomed into his kingdom. Jesus makes it clear that no servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other, and you cannot serve both God and money. And you notice the ending of that reading? The Pharisees, it says, the Pharisees who loved money heard all of this and were sneering at Jesus. Jesus makes it real clear that what we do as people of God with what belongs to him is all about the two greatest commandments. And the two greatest commandments are love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might, and love your neighbors as yourselves. Those are the two primary commandments related over and over throughout Scripture, the two primary of which the ten are a subset. And then comes the Old Testament reading. 
Hear this, you who trample the needy and do away with the poor of the land, selling grain, skimping the measure, boosting the price, cheating with dishonest scales, buying the poor with silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. Folks, that's not how Jesus wants us to be shrewd in using his gifts and money that's been placed in our care. He wants us to find ways to help the poor, ways that provide for them now and for the long term, ways that enrich their lives and enrich the lives of their families. And don't forget, remember as you only think of the poor as being those without possessions, don't forget that when Jesus talks about the poor, he's often referring to those who are spiritually poor and spiritually blind, those who are separated from him, and sometimes by their own doing. He's talking about us. Us. Because we are spiritually blind, dead, and often his enemies. But as with the debtors in the gospel lesson, we too owe our master a lot. And the debt has been paid. It's been taken to the cross. Jesus, as he says, he wants all to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. So how can we use these gifts that God has placed in our care? How can we use them creatively, efficiently, effectively, and faithfully so that God's people will live in his eternal dwellings? Reggie McNeil says that God is on a mission and he has invited us to join him in that. God is on a mission and he's invited us to join him in that. And it's important to remember, it's not our love that we share. It's not our strength that we use. It's not our mission that we engage in in the church. It belongs to God. It's God's love. It's God's strength. It's God's mission. And yes, He's invited us to join Him in that. And He's invited to lead us, to lead you in this mission in the future. Jeremiah 29, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. And then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be, I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. And the same is true for us. Those words were spoken to God's people as they were in the midst of a transition in an exile. God has plans for us. He has plans for you and for your congregation. And I've come to understand that it all doesn't happen right away in our lives. 
When you think of transitions, maybe what you need to think of is not just what's going on in your church right now, but think of those times in your lives when you personally have experienced loss or you've personally experienced a major change in your life. Maybe you've made a move. Maybe you've begun a new job. And there was an ending in what took place that is no longer the same. And a new normal, a new beginning happens over time. There are endings and there are new beginnings in our lives, but there's also this time in between endings and new beginnings. Some describe it as a period of confusion and distress. Or you and I, thinking of the Old Testament, may describe it as wilderness wanderings. We don't go from an ending right away to a new beginning, a new normal. When you think about the people of Israel in the wilderness, you realize that the greatest movement of the people of Israel in the wilderness was not geographical. It's not that far from, from Egypt to Jericho. It didn't take them 40 years to travel that distance entirely. The greatest movement was emotional. They had to move from what was to what will be. And the wilderness has often been defined as a place where we don't know what it is. There's times in this transition that you as a congregation might be wondering, what is it that we're trying to work towards? And that makes us uncomfortable. And that's why the people of Israel wanted to go back to Egypt's even slavery. And that's why some couldn't enter the promised land. Because they didn't want to hear God's leading into their new normal. They didn't want to change. And they didn't want to follow God's plans for them. But it's in the wilderness in our lives that we grow. It's in the wilderness that we learn. It's in the wilderness that we come to discover what God has in mind for us using the gifts that He has placed in our care. Little Billy was uh, terribly frightened. He had put his fist into his mother's expensive, narrow neck vase, and he was unable to pull it out again. And unable to help him, his mother called the neighbors to help with the situation. <clears throat> and eager, eager to help, a couple of friends next door hurried over and worked with Billy for 20 or 30 minutes to no avail. And finally, someone asked if he has opened his fist inside that vase so that it could be withdrawn easier. Oh, no, Billy said. Then I'd lose my marble that I dropped in there in the first place. How often do we hang on to our way, our solution, our plan, even our pain? instead of letting go and trusting the one who gives life. Maybe that's a lack of forgiveness to ourselves or to somebody else. Maybe that's the love of money and the felt need for all who can get so that we can have security. Maybe it's priorities or addictions or attitudes that set us apart from others and from the one who loves us and offers to lead us and fill us by his grace. 
Maybe it's uh, wanting to live life like I've always lived life and have my church be like it has always been so that I'm happy. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. And then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you and you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. In our wilderness, in times of transition, it's important for us to know what is it that we're hanging on to that we need to let go. But also what is it that we hang on to Because this good and gracious God in his voice and in his plans and in his mission gives us his hope and his peace and his grace for our lives and for the life of this church. To God be the glory. Amen.